0: Now I will just say, I'll apologize. It is not our normal outline. Uh, we ha- ran into some technical difficulties this morning. Uh, so uh, we, we, we do have a printout, but it might not have been uh, the printout that we originally uh, desired. So we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. All right, so we're going through the Orthodox Catechism, an Orthodox Catechism, and we're in questions 42 to 44. And uh, I know we ask this every time, and it's, we're going to keep asking it. Um, so the catechism is broken up into three major sections. What is the first section? Man's what? Misery. Misery. Yep. Sin. Yep. Or if we want to use the alliteration with Gs, guilt. Right? And then what is the second section? So we had man's misery, man's redemption. redemption. Yep. Right? And that would be um, grace, right, if we're using the Gs. And then the third section Right? So man's misery, man's redemption, and man's. The third sheet, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude, right? Or thankfulness, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So just thinking in those three major categories, and right now we are still working through the second section, right, of man's redemption. So. Um, uh, we started out uh, working through the second section, and the way that it opened up was through the Apostles' Creed, right? And so we've been working through that, but then trying to think deeply and theologically about each aspect, right? The person, uh, 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 the person of Christ, right, was a major focus the last you know m- month and a half, and now getting into the work of Christ, right, and thinking about the work of Christ in particular for us. So with that, we'll go ahead and start. With question 42, who would be willing to read uh, question 42 and then read the answer to question 42? Yeah, perfect.
1: Question 42 What other benefit do we receive by the death of Christ? Answer that by virtue of his death, our old man is crucified, slain, and buried together with him, figured out in holy baptism, that henceforth evil lust and a sacrifice
0: of thanksgiving. All right, perfect, right so the, the first question here, right so we, we spent some time thinking about the death of Christ previously, then his burial. Now it's asking the question about, well, what is another benefit that we have to the death of Christ? Then we'll think about the descent and then we'll think about the resurrection. But notice the questions are asking not so much, what is it about? Christ's death or his resurrection, but more so, it's it's particular. It's related to how does it benefit us? How does it profit us? Right? Wh- wh- how should we how should we think of it? So, the the way that it um, so with question forty two, when it asks, "What other benefit do we receive from Christ?" It starts in question thirty six, where it asks, "What do you believe when you say that he suffered?" And uh, there, what it talks about is how the Lord Jesus Christ, in his work, satisfied the wrath of God for our sin, right? And that, that, that's a, a theological term, propitiation. So he, he satiated the wrath of God for us. There is no longer any condemnation, no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus as a result of his death, right? So we're freed from everlasting damnation, and he has purchased for us God's favor, righteousness, and, eternal life. and uh, in, in question 38, it says a similar thing in reference to the curse, right? What did Christ's death do? He became a curse for us, right, for all those who stood under the curse, right? So now it's, it's, it's kind of working towards, all right, well then, what other benefit has Christ done? Now, from a focus standpoint, th- this is the difference between um, uh, uh, justification and sanctification, so the, it, it's really asking the Christ, it's asking the question, what, what did the work of Christ accomplish, right? And those previous questions, were focusing on our relation to God. How, how do we become right with God, right? How does it deal with our standing before God? And it answers that. And the death of Christ, right, his life, death, and resurrection satisfy that. But now it's asking this other question. What other benefit do we receive by the death of Christ. So this first question here, that by virtue of his death, our old man is crucified, slain, and buried together with him. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And uh, I, I, I really, um, I like how they laid this out because I, I do find it helpful. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And again, I know you don't have the handout that I so desired, but that's okay. So we're going to be, There'll be a lot of uh, page flipping, right? So Romans chapter 6, and we'll probably spend a, a decent amount of time here. Can I have someone read Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 6? Yeah, Norm. We know that our whole self was crucified with us in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Okay. Oh, sorry. Nope, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Yes. All right. So notice this here. And it's, it's important for us to understand this reference, right? Our old self. So uh, th- this is not to be confused in the sense of like there's this battle, right? I, I'm, I've got like the old me and the new me, right? And it's this constant battle, right? As, as though they were two, um, two present identities, right? But no, this, this, is, this is speaking of a historical reality. So the old man was our old person in all of its sinful, corrupted flavor in Adam, right? And our new man is the regenerate person in Christ. And so the emphasis here is going to be on union, right? Who are we identified with? Now, I know that we've hit on this you know, in, in, in different ways, but really, the first question, when it comes to sanctification, is not um, w- w- what are we doing, right? But the first question starts with what is it grounded in, right? And our sanctification, right, us trying to live out the Christian life, becoming more holy or more conformed to Christ, is ultimately, uh, or, 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 or at least the, the starting place, the grounds like our catechism question is pointing to, is a reality outside of ourselves, right? And when we think of sanctification, we generally think of the work that we're doing, right? I spend time in the Word, I'm memorizing the Word, I'm in church, right? All these things are good, right, and proper, but they're farther down the production line, right? The start is the, the grounds, the work of Christ, right? The work of that second Adam, the last Adam, and those who are identified with him, because that's the language when we look here in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, right? So from, from from a starting point, the death of Christ is needed in order for us to be sanctified. And the way in which it does that is by destroying if you will, right? Our old self, that old man. Now, an interesting paradigm, well, maybe interesting is not the right word, right? A good paradigm, when we think about sanctification, is you are to become what you already are, right? So, so think of it this way. Um, when we look at Romans 6 6, you are. Uh, that, that, that old man, that old woman, is dead and has been crucified with Christ. But then well, turn with me to, to Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> right? And then look at the way that it words it. And we could even see it. We're, actually, we're going to see this in Romans 6, 12. But, but turn with me to Romans chapter 8, where, where Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live, right? So so notice the difference here. In Romans 6, it's talking about a past reality, right? Something completed. But in Romans 8, it is talking about a present, ongoing struggle, right? So when we put it together, you are to put to death that which is already dead. Now, in one sense, that doesn't make sense, right? How is something that's dead... Need to be more dead, right? Because dead is a category, right? It's not—it's not degrees, right? It was like, yeah, I was like half dead, right? It's—it's it's all or nothing. But—but—but that—but that is the idea here, right? That Paul is bringing out, and that's the idea of sanctification, is you are to become what you already are in Christ. What was the purpose of Romans? 8? Romans eight verse thirteen. 13. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep, that that famous text. Uh, John Owen's got a book, um, uh, the Mortification of Sin. Yep, and it's literally just an exposition. It's a it's a deep, thoughtful meditation on Romans eight thirteen. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah, yeah. Very helpful. Um, all right. Um, <clears throat> so so again, when we when we think about sanctification, right? Sanctification is a benefit from the work of Christ. And in particular, what the catechism is emphasizing here is its role in our death, right? The death of our old man, right? Our our sinful person, if you will, in its entirety. And how, how does this happen? Because of whom we are identified with. All right, so then notice secondly, right? So figured out in holy baptism that henceforth evil lusts and desires may not reign in us. So now look with me at Romans chapter six in verse 12. So in Romans 6:12 it says, "Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions." So it's the same idea here that we saw in Romans eight, right? Romans eight is the same idea that there is a putting to death that you are to cut off. Uh, Or look in verse 11, right? Look what it says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, right? So there's this reckoning that is a part of sanctification. So we see the engagement of the mind, right? And, and that's, a, that's an important part. Like, like Norm, you brought that up earlier, right? To remember these certain passages, right? Notice what it's saying in verse 11, right? So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, right? But again, it, it becomes this thing. It is a past reality that you need to remind and reinforce yourself, right? Notice that. Sanctification, right, has this renewal, this accounting. Reckon yourself to be... What the, the, the way in which God sees you, right? You are to live out the very the, the, the very person that God sees you in Christ. Right? And so what does that mean? That means putting to death evil lusts and desires, right? The the, the weapons and the fruit of the old man, right? That the anger, the outbursts of anger, the um Uh, uh, the lust, the greed, the covetousness, right? All all these things that flow out of an evil heart. So then notice thirdly, right? So we see this idea of union. So the death of Christ, the benefit we receive is because of what he's accomplished. And then our union with him, how we die. And then we now are to reckon reckon ourselves, account ourselves to to be that very thing. So now thirdly, or lastly, with question 42, but we may offer ourselves unto him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So turn with me to, to Romans chapter 12, right? I'm sure a familiar text. If you've not memorized Romans 12, one through two, I would encourage you to memorize these two texts, right? As these, uh, I don't know, life verses get like used too often, you know, but, uh, they get put on pins and that kind of stuff. But, but there's something here that's really helpful, that reminds us, right, that present sanctification or mortification, right, the idea of putting to death, right, the deeds of the body, right, um, uh, p- putting to death um, uh, uh, sin in, in, our, in our life requires, right, as we notice in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. Who, who could read verses 1 and 2? Romans chapter 12. Yeah, Matt.
1: I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
0: Yeah, perfect, yeah. I think that's so helpful, right? Not only in verse 2, do not be conformed, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? You see, you see the engagement of the mind, right? And then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, right, there's an, there's an important word when it says, I appeal to you, therefore, right? So what, he's, what Paul is saying is based on everything written in chapters 1 through 11, right, this concluding section on what God has done for man, where it is primarily written in uh, expressing statements of fact, right? He then says, on the basis of these, present your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice, right? So not only is there this idea with sacrifice of death, right, which kind of ties into this theme that, uh, that the catechism is bringing out here, Right? But it also has this idea of consecration or dedication. Right? What was laid on the altar was completely dedicated to the Lord. Right? And then it would, depending on the type of sacrifice, right, it, it would then follow the instructions of the Old Testament. But it was this idea that, that it was completely dedicated. Right? And so in the same way, the, the benefit that we have from the death of Christ and our sanctification is that it enables us to wholly offer ourselves as a sacrifice on God's altar, right? Not, not to earn back favor, right? But it is, it is a sacrifice, like Hebrews says, a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, right? Where we show what that looks like. God, we give you thanks, and I want that to be reflected in the way that I live, right? So, um, all right. So, um, I want to circle back real quick. So, one of the things that what Paul does here, and I just want to make it even if it's just a footnote, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, therefore, brothers. So this is a really, so in the same way that reckoning or remembering is an important part of our sanctification, of our growing into conformity with Christ, so this idea that our how we change, right? How, how do I change? How, how, do, how do I become, if you will, a better Christian, right? If, 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 um, if, if we can use that language, right? Well, another, another important key is this idea that, this, that we are to affirm statement, statements of facts about us in Christ that become the basis for the imperatives that we are then to follow, right? So, again, we go to Romans chapter 6, right? It it is not an imperative in Romans 6, 6 for you to crucify the old man, but it says, in in fact, as a result of our being identified by by faith with Christ, that we are crucified with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've risen with Christ, right? And then what, what you see Paul will do here and in other letters, like what we'll see in Ephesians 4 in a minute, is what he will then do is then bring out those realities into command form, right? And again, it goes back to that whole idea. You, um, you are to become what you already are, right? The idea of what Christ has accomplished for you, and now you being identified with him is now to be lived out. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians 4, I think, is, is, is helpful. When we, when we talk about this, or at least become becomes one place. <clears throat> and again, in, in question 42, it's really focusing on the death of Christ and how it benefits us. And then what we're going to see in question 44 is really the focus on resurrection power, right? And really that idea of new life or quickening, right? In, in some, to use an older term. So Ephesians 4, can I have someone read uh, verses 22 through 24, who be vo- would be willing? Crystal? To put off your old self,
1: which belongs to your former mayor of life, and has corrupt your deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and then put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness.
0: Okay, excellent. Right? So, so here's an example, right? Now here, what what is Paul saying? Now these are present commands, right? So it's not explaining realities, but if we were to go back to uh, Ephesians 4, 1, right? We, we, we find a similar therefore. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, right, Paul is explaining all the realities of who we are in him, all the promises that we have in Christ, right? He's explaining the, the uh, salvation, redemption, the forgiveness of sins from eternity past to the inheritance that we'll fully enjoy in eternity future, right? He, he, he lays out the full scope. And then in Ephesians 4, Now, what he's saying is, you are to put off the thing that has already been put off, right? The old man which is dead, you are to continue to put off. And the new man, which you have by union with Christ in his resurrection, you're now to put on. You're to live, right? And how do we do that in verse 23? To be renewed, just like Romans chapter 12, right? In the spirit of our minds. Now, I want to give you guys... An example. It's really interesting because Paul then starts to work through different categories in Ephesians chapter 4, which in, in one way or another kind of line up with the Ten Commandments, right? In, uh, in, uh, w- w- with a little bit of a different order. But notice in verse 29, I want to use this as just an example, right? This idea of put off and then put on, right? And, and put off is another way to say to put to death, right? So, In verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, right? So again, that is a part of the former manner of life, right? That was corrupt through deceitful desires, right? The corrupting mouth. uh, now, 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 what is implied in verse 29 with corrupting speech? Notice the contrast. But only such as is good for building up, right? So this corrupting word Right? This corrupting talk is that which tears down, it's that which destroys, it's that which is intended to harm, right? And that manner of speaking is who we were outside of Christ. That's who we were when we were identified with Adam, right? And then notice there, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, right? So what's the major takeaway of question 42? That through the death of Christ, not only does it ground our right standing with God, but it grounds our sanctification, right? And how God will regard us, right? And enables us to then kill that which is already dead. All right, so now we'll go to question 43, referring to the descent. Who would be willing to read question 43? All right, Brian.
1: Why is there added, quote, well, be descended into hell? The answer that in my gravest pains and most grievous temptations, I may support myself with this comfort that my Lord Jesus Christ has delivered me by the unspeakable distresses, torments, and terrors of the soul into which he was plunged both before and then, especially, when he hung on the cross from the straits and to torments of hell. All
0: right, excellent. And then. Yeah, not only the cross, re- cross references, and then he references Dr. Usher and Mr. Perkins. Um, so let's um, open up to Isaiah 53:10. Who'd be willing to get Isaiah 53:10? All right, Mia. All right, and then Matthew 27:46. All right, Norm. You got Matthew 27.
1: Yep. And in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Nima, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken
0: me? All right, excellent. Now, I will say that um, this phrase, he descended into hell, this is uh, one of the ways in which it is understood, but it is not the only way, especially in the Reformed tradition. Uh, there's a, 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 another review, another review, another view um, as it uh, explains and thinks through what it looks like with this idea of he descended into hell. Now, I know Pastor Ron hit on this when we were in the First Peter 3 series. You can go back and listen as you work through some of the different options. Also, one of the views that uh, represents this and does a helpful work both theologically and historically is Sam Renahan's book. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Latin and I don't remember. Very, uh, it's like Morris Crux Inferiori or something like that. Um, so again, if you're interested to do some more digging. But it is not very often that I have a paper book with me. And so what I thought I'd do is, so it references Dr. Usher here in his Body of Divinity on um, And then the the page number is different from what I have. But what I wanted to do was just also give a a brief background. So he's referencing Dr. Usher. Dr. Usher was an Irish theologian, if I remember correctly, yep, back in the 1500s. So let me just read a quick part of his section when he talks about burial and then what is meant by descending into hell. So let let me read this, and then we're going to look at... um, uh, 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 we'll, we'll, We'll look at maybe two or three texts, and then we'll go on. right, so he says, first, what is meant by his descending into hell? He notes, not that he went unto the place of the damned, but that he went absolutely unto the estate of the dead. And then he references Romans 10.7. Who'd be willing to read Romans 10.7? All right, Matt?
1: Or who will descend? that is to bring Christ up from the dead.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. And then secondly, he says, it, it's, and, and, and I will say, so um, this is like a catechism for grown-ups, if you will. Now, it's not intended to be memorized, all right? So you don't have to worry about that. But, but the, the way in which it's written is question and answer, question and answer. And it's very helpful, right? It, 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 um, uh, sometimes you can look at theological works, and they're intimidating. Because it's like, here's 40 pages, right, on fill in the blank. But this is helpful in that it's a question, answer, question, answer. So it helps you to logically kind of think through, like, small steps to make it up the pyramids kind of a thing. So, and then follows up, what do you call the estate of the dead? He notes that departing this life, he went in his soul into heaven, Luke 23, 43, right, when he was on the cross, right, referring to the thief on the cross, right? This day you will be with me in paradise, right? And then he, he also notes, and was in his body under the very power and dominion of death for a season. He notes Acts 2.24, Hebrews 2.14, and Romans 6.9. What we'll do is we'll read Acts 2.24, and then we'll go from there. So Acts 2.24, and Peter says in Acts 2.24... God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, right? So that idea of this temporary, right, idea of death, right, and, and what it held. So, now again, what, what I'll do from a qualification standpoint is say, again, um, uh, you can reference Pastor Ron's Sermon, there's also the Sam Renahan book, and then you can also read, uh, it's online for free, um, uh, William Perkins has an exposition of the Apostles' Creed, and he, he, he spends a larger section kind of working through that if you, if you want to kind of dig in more. Alright, so with that, let us go to question 44. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mike. So, yeah, I think, I think that's,
1: that second, what's interesting is so that the Heidelberg Catechism only has the first part here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I find that much more convincing, but I think it's helpful to understand, too, like, the background of, like, so the Roman Catholic, you know, doctrine follows Thomas Aquinas that, you know, the descent is Christ went into limbo and released the Old Testament saints and brought them into paradise and also went to purgatory and helped those some of those people up, too. Not all of them, but some of them. And so try to give some grace to Calvin here so he's sort of an originator of this first part of, like, so that's what he was dealing with. He was trying to come up with something else that, like, made sense biblically, I think you kind of missed the mark in terms of like what that phrase was actually intended to be, but I understand like with the context of where, where he was, so I think it's interesting that it's based on the Heidelberg that that was added. Yes. I think that that has much more scriptural support to it and also matches like the flow of the apostles' creed and like what, yes. what they're trying to say there, so I think it's kind of confusing that I think there's a translational issue to it in English that we say hell and yes. Versus I mean, Hades and the. Right. Yep. We have a different idea of what that means versus just saying like the dead or the grave or Hades. So yes. Just, just wanted to point that out. So not not my
0: yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, George. Yeah. I would say that the
1: New Testament authors always distinguish between Hades and The Gehenna being the final place of torment, hell, Yes. And Hades being the realm of. Lazarus and the rich man with discussion there about Abraham Prism in Sinai with Paradise, but you see the two people Richman and Lazarus possibly in the rough of that Hades. Yes. They are in two places because death and Hades in the book of they're all the things of they the five. Yes. So Hades is
0: the a media state for the five-year-old. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah no, think, think, thanks for bringing that. That's a tough ball. All right. Well, let's go to um, uh, question 44. What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? Actually, who would be willing to read question 44 with the answer? What does the resurrection... Of Christ, profit us. Answer first by his resurrection, he vanquished death, that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he had gotten us by his death. Second, we are now also stirred up by his power to a new life. Lastly, the resurrection of our head, Christ, is a pledge to us of our glorious resurrection. All right, excellent. So turn to me to Romans chapter 4, and let's look at this proof text that I think is helpful. All right, who'd be willing to read Romans 4, verse 25?
1: Romans 4, 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification?
0: All right, excellent. Right, so we see this idea, so he's asking a similar question to verse, or I'm sorry, to question 42, right? Asking about how does it benefit us? How does it, how, does it, how does it profit us, right? So in what sense does the resurrection profit us? And notice firstly, this idea that he vanquished death in order to make us partakers of that righteousness which he had gotten us by his death, right? Speaking here of justification. And uh, I'd like to read a quote, so I, I intend... Uh, I originally intended to have this as something that you guys would be able to take with you, but that um, did not come to fruition. So um, I want to read here, um, thinking about this first benefit of resurrection and as it relates to justification. Now this is taken from Otto Thelemon who's a theologian from over a century ago. But I think his words here are helpful, and then he references Olivanius. So he says here, the first benefit is our justification. So number one, Christ by his death paid the penalty of sin and thereby secured our righteousness. Death had no power over him to hold him because he was without sin, right? Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, right? He's the perfect high priest. If he had sin, right, he would be held by it. But because he was without sin, death had no claim over him. If Christ had remained in the grave, his death would have been no benefit to us, right? 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. he would have suffered for his own sins. By his resurrection, he proved himself the Son of God, who made an atonement, not for himself, but for our guilt, and therefore death, had no claim upon him, right? And that idea from Romans 1, 4, that he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, right? Or from the dead, right? So this idea, so when we think about the benefit of the resurrection, right, we're we're seeing it, how it's connected to his death, that he didn't stay hung on a tree, accursed of God, only to be recognized that way and to be written off but instead that it was truly a sacrifice for our guilt, right, that was paid in full. But then he says, secondly, his resurrection was necessary that he might impart to us his purchased redemption, right, the forgiveness of sin, and that it might serve as a divine seal to his people, right? So the resurrection becomes this really clear way to us to know that God has accepted the work of Christ for us, right? So there's this sense in which, from an assurance standpoint, that we look to and that that we should drive ourselves to the objective work of Christ. And one of the things that we look at is his resurrection, right? No, what Christ really accomplished actually satisfied wrath for my sin, right? But then he says, thirdly, and he's quoting all of the... Tim, how do you pronounce this? Olivianus? It's not, it's not on there. Livianus. Olivianus, thank you. Yep, um, thank you. That's what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> Olivianus. So <clears throat> the first benefit is that the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure testimony that God regards us as righteous, as Saint Paul teaches. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are not in your sins, 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. From this we conclude that Christ, being risen, believers no more remain in their sins. Not that there is no more sin in them, but that these have been pardoned and are not reckoned against them. For since Christ died, not for his own sins, but for ours, it must follow that not one of all of our sins remains which was not fully punished and paid for. Since they were all cast upon the body of Christ. And I love this here, right? Pay attention. Where he says, Otherwise, Christ could not have arisen for where yet one sin remains, the wages of sin abide, which is what? Death. Right? So think about that, right? That's an important point. That if there was one sin for which Christ did not purchase for his people, right? Then he could not be raised. Right? Because his work was not accomplished. Right? And just so when you think about so it goes back to the question what does the resurrection of Christ profit us? Right? It's this idea of the assurance that it brings. This, it's God setting his seal, giving us clear and ample evidence to, to ring forth in our conscience. So that was firstly. So, secondly, right? And this is on the flip side. Right, So when we look at part B, where he says, Second, we are now also stirred up by his power to a new life. Right? And so this is to bring out similarly, like we said in question 42, about death. Right? So what is the virtue of his death? Not only in our justification, being made right with God, having a right standing with God. And that becomes the grounds of our sanctification, but also now the resurrection. Right, So in the same way that Paul would tell believers... You are to put to death that which is already dead. Reckon yourselves, what? To be dead indeed to sin, right? But then what, he's, what does he say in Romans 6 and verse 11? And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon yourselves to be what you already are. Remember who you are in Christ. Look with me in Romans chapter 6. Where he says in Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, what? We too might walk in newness of life, right? So we experience resurrection power in putting on the new man, right? So again, and and, 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 uh, I need to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the so much of sanctification, right, can can be very practical and I do not want to take that away, right? And so please please don't miss that. I don't I don't want you to take that away like, no, I shouldn't be reading my Bible or be very intentional about a self-control, disciplined and sober, sober-minded life. Not not at all, right? But what, what I'm saying is that if 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 we lean so far into the obedience-disobedience realm, apart from these categories that God gives us, what it will do over time is hurt things like assurance, right? Where we'll, we'll become so focused on how we're performing. Are we measuring up, right? Am I, am I really putting to death, right? We, we look at ourselves and we'll see hypocrisy, right? And again, that, that's why I want... And and I want to bring us back to what the catechism is doing because I think it helpfully is showing the person that that we return to is Christ, right? And our union with him, right? And that becomes the focus, the key, and sanctification is really practically day in, day out, very slowly, very painfully working out those realities that are already true about us, right? Right? And that's the idea that we see here, like with Romans 6.4. Um, all right, so let, let me hit thirdly. So it's interesting when, when you think about, um, so again, sanctification, right, is the idea of us. It's, it's, it's our holiness, right? And, and there's different aspects to this. There's a perfected aspect that Hebrews talks about, that we are completely set apart by the death of Christ. And then there's this ongoing day-in, day-out battle, right? The ups and downs, the roller coaster sanctification, right? You feel like it's going well and you feel like it's going down, right? But then there's this relationship that sanctification has with glorification, right? This idea of what we will be on that final day, right? And it's this, they have the same goal but different time periods, right? So sanctification, is intended for us to be more like who? Christ, right? That, that's the goal, right? Romans 8, right? It's intended. It's headed that way, right? But are we there, right, in, in this present life? No, right, because we're caught in the two ages, right? We, we still belong to this old evil age, and yet we also are citizens of the age to come, right? What's, what's in the future? And so, The goal right now is for us to be more and more like Christ, right? But that, we still have this body of death, right? We're still weak and tired, sickly, right? And then same thing spiritually, right? But glorification, if you will, is completing sanctification on that final day. When we are finally conformed to Christ... In both body and soul, right? Where we are in our perfected, completed state, right? It's the same goal that we're ending towards that God accomplishes on that final day, right? And so... But then to tie it back, right, to what the catechism is saying, right, so this idea, so we see how they're connected, right? Resurrection power, it's the same resurrection power that's working in sanctification will be the same resurrection power, right, that completes it on the day of glory. So look, lastly, look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 22, and then then we'll close there. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 and 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So notice, notice here, right, because what is it doing? Our resurrection pattern, right, will be patterned after who we are identified with, right? And who's that? It's Christ who is our representative, our federal or covenant head, as it says in verse 22 and 23. Now, what is this thing called first fruits, right? So, first fruits is an Old Testament idea. Right, and there's laws like in Deuteronomy 26 talks about the laws of first fruits and what the Israelites under the old covenant were supposed to do. But the idea of first fruits is this: that whatever is given initially in the harvest, right, is almost, almost in a sense like a pledge or a down payment of what's to come for the rest of the harvest. Right, it's kind of like the foretaste. It lets you know what's coming. Well, in the same way, so for us, right, by us partaking now of the Holy Spirit right? Receiving the Holy Spirit, it is a down payment, an assurance of resurrection glory that we look forward to in the age to come. It is God's pledge to us that we will be with Christ in glory. There was another quote that I wanted to give you guys, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. So, any questions before we close? All right. Well, let's go ahead. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we do thank you so much for this time that we get to gather and think on these things. Father, we pray that you would help us through the power of the Spirit to see the benefits in particular of your Son, the Lord Jesus, crucified for us, buried and raised for us. And that this would bring not only great delight to our hearts, but a strong assurance, a confidence that If Christ has been raised, then I will be raised too. That he is the resurrection and the life. And you would just firmly cement this in our heart. And you would help us to indeed reckon ourselves to be dead to that old man and alive in the new man in Christ. So we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.